Welcome to the Sacred Dance. This podcast will aid you in finding balance in a polarizing reality and fulfillment through living out your dharma. I'm your host, Annette Maria, founder of Sanctuary Publishing, purpose and feminine embodiment coach, an intuitive facilitator of healing. You will experience solo transmissions from me and conscious conversations with leading experts in spirituality, sexuality, healing, and the energetics behind it all. We are going deep into all that we experience on this human ride. It's time for life to feel like a sacred dance. Are you ready? Hello and welcome to the Sacred Dance. Today I'm here with Craig Salerno. He is a licensed professional counselor, a licensed addiction counselor that has a private practice in Boulder, Colorado, where he focuses on ketamine-assisted psychotherapy. So welcome, Craig, to the Sacred Dance. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be on. Absolutely. So how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. It's Monday, early afternoon, so I'm like feeling the... uh, the energy of Monday. Yeah. yeah. Uh, ultimately doing pretty good. Well rested after two weeks in Florida and got some time <laughs> to take a break from my work. So beautiful. Yeah. So let's dive into this. I'm so excited to talk about this. You know, so many people, myself included, you know, we'll hear about psilocybin, you know, use, you know, mushrooms, um, LSD and different things, but ketamine is something that I've never heard of. And that's why I bring you into this space to, to talk on this. So, you know, and someone might even see ketamine assisted psychotherapy, and maybe they've seen ketamine in their party days or have, you know, seen it in different contexts. Can you explain what ketamine is that debunks what we might assume that it is? <laughs> sure. Yeah. And let me first normalize it. I mean, that was my experience too. When I first saw ketamine kind of advertised as this therapeutic tool, my whole history with ketamine, which was seeing it at parties, hearing it as a horse tranquilizer, all that. I mean, that came up the, the K-hole. So just want to normalize that that history is real. And that's the majority of people who come into ketamine assisted psychotherapy carry some of that. Um, so to just kind of debunk that or to give it a different light, So ketamine is actually a medicine that's been used medically for a very long time, mostly as an anesthetic. So particularly for child children undergoing surgery, it's considered a very safe anesthetic and it's been used since the early 1900s. And yeah, it's just been an effective safe medicine used at a particular dose to help people kind of like disintegrate away from the physical body so they're not experiencing pain in surgery. Um, The interesting thing that happened, which is how we discovered it as a psychedelic and as a tool for therapy, is that most people would return from their you know, anesthetic state and they would say, I had like deeply visual experiences in there and these insights. And I was conversing with you know, like spiritual beings to very magnetized psychedelic experiences. And then they also were reporting, and my mood feels incredible. I feel lifted, I feel lighter. Um, so people got curious of like, wait a second, this, this appears to have some visual component to it, some psychedelic component to it and also potentially an antidepressant quality. Um, So a couple of researchers and I think inquisitive minds um, continued to work with ketamine, lowered the dose so we weren't putting people out into an anesthetic state and realized at lower doses, this is a highly potent psychedelic medicine. Um, You have deeply visual experiences that I mentioned, often comes with insight. 
And it also is a natural antidepressant. It just works very effectively with managing the mood, particularly people that are really deep in treatment resistant depression tends to lift them, give them a little bit more space. Mm. Um, so we're kind of in that space of like rediscovering ketamine in a different dose range. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's kind of just to give a general idea of, of how we're using it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what if someone is, you know, has maybe experience in that party scene or whatever you were saying, you use lower doses, but how do you kind of combat their worries that they won't go into maybe a K-hole or maybe even explain what that is, right? When people maybe have heard that terminology and maybe are like, oh, I don't want to even experience that. Yeah. Yeah. So we kind of see, I mean, like there's three styles of dosing that we kind of look at as clinicians. And the good thing to note right off the bat, so I'm a psychotherapist. I work in collaboration with a medical team that does the prescribing for the ketamine. They declare the dose. They usually have a lot more experience kind of managing the dose range. And we always start super low, move up. We never send people too far. So in regards to the questions about safety and how do I make sure I'm not going too far, the medical team really holds that very beautifully. And we never put people past where they want to go. Um, There's actually a lot of self-efficacy in choosing dose. Um, There was another question you had asked. Remind me what the other piece was, because there was something else I wanted to share. Oh, the worry about a K-hole or if someone ever heard of that terminology in there. Okay. Yeah. I wanted to talk about the different styles of dosing. So the K-hole, I mean, we actually seek that experience at certain points. So very much attributed to the intramuscular and intravenous style of ketamine dosing. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's a certain dose where you're not fully into anesthetic kind of like loss of reference of the body but you're in a deeply psychedelic experience and it's very common to kind of have it, what we call like an ego dissolution. So you're having an experience. I would say your consciousness is having an experience, mm-hmm. but there's very little self-reference. So it's not like I'm Annette and I'm witnessing parts mm-hmm. of my history. It's kind of like you forget Annette, you might even forget the therapist is in the room and you're just moving through these different visual landscapes. Mm-hmm. And that's often called the K-hole because you can imagine if you take that at a party, and you're trying to just get a lower dose experience and you go into a blast off, it's gonna feel terrifying. Um, What we do, we usually orient people to the lighter dosing first, what we call trance style dosing. And that's often using ketamine lozenges, which are dissolved in the mouth. The dosing is much lower. You will still be in the room. You'll be able to know that you're with a therapist. You feel Mm -hmm. slightly altered. The defenses are lowered, maybe a big sense of like softening and cooling, um, but you're not fully launched into the uh, quote unquote K-hole or what we call transformation dosing. Yeah. Got it. Cool. So what started you on this journey? What intrigued you to start this path to mental health and infusing it with psychedelics? Yeah, it's curious. I mean, I've I've tried to date this back and I'm like, how did I get here? (laughs) Um, But as early as I can remember, I mean, as early as 16 or 17, when I had my first experiences with psychedelics, I got really interested in how substances impact the mind really curious about altered consciousness. I always attribute, I was a drummer and I would have like really interesting experiences getting into rhythm and drumming and start to feel things shifting and seeing mm-hmm. things visually on my symbol. And I always felt really compelled to explore that state. So mm-hmm. you put that in combination with being interested in psychedelics, having personally experienced positive experiences early in my life and just feeling kind of a knack for con- connecting and communicating with people. And like all these roads kind of merged. <laughs> Um, to find psychedelic therapy as a profession. Yeah. But it's, it's been on my radar since, I mean, as young as 17, 18, I was reading literature about psychedelic therapy. 
Mm, yeah. So this is just what you're meant to do on this earth, really. It very much feels, yeah, like a calling that kind of took me and. Yeah, you didn't really have a choice, right? <laughs> That's how it feels when we step into our purpose. I think Absolutely. there's no. We're just kind of the puppet. We're like, all right. Yeah, I mean, it very much feels like it came through me. Absolutely. So, who does this help if someone is, you know? curious who is beneficial to experience ketamine assisted therapy yeah i mean that's widening slowly over time but the initial people that we saw the most benefit for was what we would call treatment resistant depression individuals so these are folks that have been dealing with depression for potentially years have tried standard western medication have tried psychotherapy maybe tried group psychotherapy mm. and just like nothing is budging that feeling of like apathetic heavy lack of motivation, no meaning. Mm -hmm. And as you can imagine with a psychedelic medicine, I think the reason it's really good for treatment resistant depression, ketamine disidentifies you from that identity. Mm -hmm. So feeling like I'm always gonna be in this, there's no relief for me. When the notion of me evaporates and I experience this lifting and this opening, it just really brings in a lot of hope and a reminder of what else is available. And that can just be deeply therapeutic and supportive for someone who's been depressed and struggling for a very long time. So I'd say like the most potent impact of this medicine is for the treatment resistant depression archetype. Um, but I've been quite excited about bringing it into other landscapes, such as addiction, even psycho-spiritual exploration, people that are interested in like quote unquote optimizing their mm -hmm. own mental health and just see like immense benefits all over the map. It's been a great resolution tool because it again like a lot of traumas physiological and biological responses yeah. and when you imagine the consciousness loosening from the body you get to work with trauma content a lot more openly and easily so i mean it's just you can imagine like we're, we're finding more and more areas where it's effective so yeah who knows? i mean it feels really yeah, it feels like the the list of how this can help is just growing over time that's beautiful and that you know it sounds like there is ability an ability to find that safety that with that detachment comes that ability to find that safety right because when we're in it when we're stuck in it we're unable to see past so this seems like a beautiful tool to use beautiful medicine so hmm, i'm trying i have a few questions that are popping into my brain so when you said addiction i'm sure that kind of sparked for some people um but we're using a substance. Can yeah, you just yeah. touch on that a bit? So, I mean, that's my favorite thing. To, I think the biggest thing I run into is like the, why do you give drug addicts drugs? <laughs> my response is like, they're, they're already taking drugs that are much more dangerous. <clears throat> and there's this, this odd thing about like the medicine sometimes being in the poison. Mm -hmm. And there's an interesting thing where a lot of substance use disorders and addiction, you're using medicine, I mean, drugs, alcohol, et cetera, to get away from your experience, to avoid, to shift away. And you're kind of turning the addiction on its head by using a medicine or a substance to go inward mm -hmm. and to go towards your pain, towards your trauma, towards your basic goodness, towards your health. And yeah, it's just like this really paradoxical, but kind of beautiful aspect of utilizing psychedelics for addiction. And again, this whole way we're using psychedelics to kind of transcend ego and identity you ask anyone who's in addiction recovery in the current models we have, it's all about identifying as an addict. Yeah. In some ways, believing you're, you're broken. There's something different about me. I'm, I'm not able to use substances because of X, Y, Z. 
and just the stiffness of that identity versus kind of how psychedelics work with you, which is like, you're much bigger than all of that. And that's what enables you to heal is that you're not stuck. You're actually immensely spacious. It's been yeah. really powerful. Yeah. So yeah. I, I love bringing in that area. I'm also clinically trained in addiction. That's like where I've done the majority of my work. Mm. So I don't just throw psychedelics at addiction. I'm like very sensitive and attuned to when it feels helpful and when it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's a much bigger discussion. So, yeah, absolutely. And that's a really beautiful thing. Again, how you said that removal, right? That you are something greater, that our identities aren't who we are, that this box of, you know, addict or depressed, you know, you said treatment resistant, depressed individual, right? those become identities. And then we kind of forge a path in this life thinking, oh, this is me. This is just who I am. I'm just stuck here because I'm just an addict or I'm just a depressed, depressed person. And I would love for us to now open up the discussion in this detachment, in this expansion, um, how it helps with our spirituality and experiencing that. So what has been some of the most profound things that you've seen or maybe yourself have experienced through using ketamine that has helped you with your spirituality? You're talking me personally working with the medicine or even just with clients? You or your clients, you know, whichever comes to mind first. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's a simple profundity, just watching someone go from a hopeless state to a hopeful state. Mm -hmm. And I think when you see the style of hopelessness that I often work with, which is oftentimes attached to suicidality, not wanting to live, and then a very quick movement over the course of 24 hours to, I think I want to be here. And I see a lot of reason to be here, mm. that alone. And to me, that's a deeply spiritual thing, like committing to life and saying yes to life. Yeah. I see that all the time. And that's like a very profound thing to witness. Mm in multiples. I'm like, I see that very frequently. So that feels really powerful. And then the notion of people who come in with a very limited attachment to spirituality, not really interested, maybe apathetic. Mm -hmm. And then you have a spiritual insight. I mean, one of my clients witnessed, I think I'd mentioned this in our pre-call, like mm -hmm. their ancestors building them clay oh, pot yeah. and just yeah. like this deeply meaningful visual. And it really just opens up the, like, what is possible? Mm. You know, like, am I connected to my ancestors? Does this go deeper than I think it does? And just the fact that it brings in those contemplations and the possibilities, the what ifs, I think that can be very significant spiritually. Because um, yeah. I, I consider like wonder and curiosity very spiritual. <laughs> and that is often a big result we get through this work. Absolutely. The wonder yeah, and the curiosity. Oh no, we got you. <laughs> the wonder and that curiosity is a major part of it, right? Because we start to recognize that we're not just, again, this human form that just operates in this like linear three-dimensional fashion. We have multi-dimensionality. We are far greater than we think and imagine. And it's a beautiful thing that people that maybe are resistant or wouldn't go down a traditional spiritual path are able to kind of have these realizations through using this medicine. And through, you know, deepening that understanding in their own way, right? And that shows there's so many pathways. It's not, but we're all going, you know, Ram Das. I'm sure you know who Ram Das is forging, you know, yeah. psilocybin movement in the 60s, right? 70s. He says, we're all just walking each other home, right? We're all just doing our own thing, but we're all going to the same place, right? We all have our own pathways. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I agree. I think that's another piece. 
that's another piece that I often see is like that unity component that you're speaking to mm-hmm. and more like a sense of connection with others and partners and me as a therapist. I'm like, it, it, this work opens up union in a yeah. very beautiful way as well. And I'm like, that's, I think where a lot of our healing gets done too is the medicine helps you and then you heal also in relationship and Absolutely. I think you're nailing that. It's like a sense of camaraderie that comes with that. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think the heart of spirituality, I think many people sometimes think spirituality is them getting something. I don't know. There's different intentions that individuals have stepping on to a path. Right. But I think at the heart of it, once you've kind of moved away, the egoic desires, right at the heart of it, it's, you're seeing source, God, whatever you want to call a higher consciousness. You see this thread within everyone, right? You try to, at least. And that's, I think the work is trying to see the thread in it all. Agreed. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I just love that idea of like that being the piece of the healing is like, as you feel more of a sense of connection to yourself and the people around you, like that inherently starts to heal you as well. I just think that's like a beautiful frame of looking at this kind of work. Yeah. And it's, and it's just such a hopeful state, right? It gives them that life again, which is such, so beautiful. So what does a session look like? Is it done at once? Is it done in like, you know, What's the treatment? I know it depends per person probably, but what's the treatment usually like? Yeah, I mean, that varies. And it's interesting because I think where this differs from a lot of other medicines is when you look at the psilocybins, the ayahuascas, a lot of them are connected to indigenous cultures that have like longstanding ritual use of them. Mm-hmm. There's like ceremony attached, like the Mazatec people using mushrooms, the Shipibo using ayahuasca. They have very particular containers that they've developed to do this kind of work. Whereas ketamine is kind of like, the wild west we're all kind of figuring out what feels right we're all like bringing our own personalities to the work um so i like to do it twofold i i bring in my own history of working with indigenous people and i mean there's just so much wisdom in cultures that have worked with psychedelics in terms of like how you incorporate music how you incorporate the five senses how you incorporate ritual and sacredness so i try to like lean in and work with that but then also this notion of like each client is different what they're comfortable with is different. How they want to set it up is different. So we kind of like collaborate and find mm-hmm. like a workable space. Yeah. Some people like zero sacredness. So a session will feel, I mean, very similar to psychotherapy. They're just laying on the couch, no incense, no, you know, it's just like <laughs> light music and I'm just staying in contact with them. Other people will build an altar and create a sacred space. We'll do 30 minutes of like prep and really bringing in resources, ancestors, etc. And then in terms of like how long the sessions go, they're usually two and a half hours. I think the neat thing about ketamine in comparison to, again, the other psychedelics, much shorter lasting, much more predictable in terms of going up and coming down. Mm, And usually, yeah, from the time of dosing to the time they're like back to ordinary consciousness is about two hours. So we usually do two and a half hours, gives us time to do a little bit of prep, a little bit of integration on the back end. And then it's, it's interesting in terms of like how often we dose. Some people do more intensive six sessions in three or four weeks mm. with the intention to like really open these again. Like if, if someone's in more of a treatment resistant depression space, really compressed, we'll use a lot of medicine for flowering and opening. Mm-hmm. If someone's doing more management of trauma. Maybe it's like we do a session, we continue to do therapy, check in with where we're at, do integration that feels appropriate, more medicine if that feels appropriate and just kind of attune. Other people, it's once a year, they just need like a reboot and a reminder. So 
it's really, it's tailored to the client. It's me, the medical team and the client, like finding an attunement together. Beautiful. Mm, so what does the integration look like after someone has this experience, right? Um, once they've experienced the ketamine and then they go out into the world, what is that like for you to witness um, on your clients? And I know that's something that you love to see is what they do after. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's where the rubber hits the road. I mean, I love doing uh, psychedelic therapy and being in sessions with people, but I love the integration work because it's beautiful first of all and way more challenging mm -hmm. you go to an, a psychedelic state and you experience profound openings insights transformational experiences it's amazing to witness and to be a part of but then when you land back in relative reality and you have to work through conflict with your partner manage your history of substance use manage your anxiety learning how to like bring those tools and knowings from the psychedelic space to your relative reality is so huge. Yeah. <laughs> it oh, can, yeah. be such, can be such a wild ride. So, I mean, it looks very different for different people. I think a lot of people incorporate, I mean, just talk and journaling and dance and movement. And then some people, it's a very internal process. Some people get really into the therapeutic component of coming in and doing continual integration support. Mm -hmm. I have a group that I run for people to connect with other people that are doing integration work. And I always say like utilizing all five senses and reminding yourself of this space feels really important for integration. So like the smells, the sounds, the sights of what you experience in there and what you experience in the work, just like saturate that into your environment. Mm. I think okay. altars are beautiful and reminders are beautiful. Because mm. you know, I know for me, I'm like, I'll see, I sit and meditate every morning. I see my altar space which are, with a couple reminders of things that have come to me in the psychedelic space. And it's kind of like that. Oh yeah. You know, unity, yeah. forgiveness, love. Okay. Yeah. I'll, rem <laughs> I'll remember that today. Yeah. We're, we're back. I love that yeah. you use altars with your clients. I, I love altars. I think I have like four in our home for different mm -hmm. reasons. I've just started to birth them and create them because I was just like, I need a sacred space outside. I need a sacred space for my ancestors, for my meditation, for my business, right. For all these <laughs> things. I'm like, we need more, we need an altar room. <laughs> Yeah, well, um, it's so intentional and so you know, like you said the reminders I'm sure every time you see it it like sparks an experience yeah and it's that tending to it that is the devotion right that's that reminder that oh I'm buying flowers for my altar oh I'm you know especially in the lineage of yoga that I'm a part of is bhakti yoga and it's all about that devotional heart and you know devoting the flowers water food like really opening up and just serving the altar, which may sound silly for someone that has never experienced an altar, but it's like, you know, making sure that your pet's space is all clean and put together, right? You want to make sure that they're loved. And it's the same thing for yourself and for your connection. You want to feel this love when you step into meditate or whatever it may be. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And I think, yeah, some people, some people come in loving that notion and they're like, yes, all of it, all the authors teach me, I want to do it. And then some people are like, eh, that sounds a little whatever, woo woo, or I'm unsure. And I'm just like, okay, you know, there's no pressure to step into that style of the work. But the moment you get curious about it, let me know. And I'll challenge you and urge you if you're coming to get support and help, trying things that are new and novel, why not? You know, what's, what's the risk? And yeah. I always feel when people build altars, they're always like, I get it. <laughs> I get it. It does do something. 
So absolutely. Yeah. Your ability to speak to it too. I'm like, there's something so simple and profound to those spaces. And to me, it's more on like the energetic level versus like the, you know, intellectual people are like, I don't get it, but I'm like, it has, there's something happening. It opens up your spiritual heart in a way that, you know, but prior to having an altar or a sacred space, it, you know, it just kind of plugs you into the energy that you want to cultivate. Right. It just is that kind of plug that reminder, as you said too. And when we start to cultivate this connection to this area, we start to deepen our connection to our spirituality, to what we want. And we start to continue to choose that. Right. And especially when we come to the altar and we offer things or however you may work with it, it's again, that reminder, that coming home, that reconnection. And, you know, even for people that maybe feel, feel weird about it, you know, altars don't have to mean, you know, deities and statues and flowers and all these crystals and all that. An altar can be something as simple as, you know, a white pillar candle that you just light, right? Like it doesn't, it could be something, a piece of wood that you put, pulled from, you know, your walk in nature. It could be something as like grounded as it, you would want it to be. <laughs> yeah, it could be so simple. One of my clients does like a photo of his grandfather who he loves and adores and a tea light. And that's it. He brings it and that's it. I yeah. love it. Yeah. It's so sweet. It can be so sweet and simple or it could be so elaborate and over the top and all of it's perfect. Right? Yeah. Every, yeah. It's so such an expression of one's self and personality too. I think how the altar gets created. And, yeah, I always think too, I'm like, I think therapy is actually a good symbol as an altar too, because I think most people come to the work with a sense of reverence, even if maybe they wouldn't name it that way. You're like walking into this space to do deep work on yourself. You made a commitment to like pay for therapy, which again is like an energetic commitment. You're opening and I'm like, it is like there's, there's an altar that is just being in a healing space. So yeah. even if they don't build, build it as an object, there's still this notion of like just coming in is a spiritual step in anyway. So yeah. yeah, the internal altar, the internal space. Yeah. And so what's coming to my mind is, you know, a lot of people hear about psilocybin using mushrooms. I know we mentioned, you know, the difference. Can we just touch on that a bit? Um, how people, you know, the legality of it and all those, all those things. Yeah, it's complex. I think the reason ketamine is really at the forefront right now for a lot of psychotherapy is because it's the only le quote unquote legal psychedelic medicine we can work with. Mm. So as opposed to psilocybin, MDMA, LSD, which are schedule one, FDA regulated, no therapeutic use and benefit. Ketamine is a schedule three substance, which means you can go to a psychiatrist, you can get it prescribed off label for depression. You can bring it into a session you can self-ingest the medicine and a therapist can work with you. That's not true for psilocybin or MDMA. If you wanted to work with that therapeutically, you're working with an underground provider who is obviously risking <laughs> legal consequences. Yeah. Or you do it through a trial, which a clinical trial, which fortunately there's a lot of those popping up in university because we're starting to realize these medicines are deeply impactful and powerful. Um, so unless you're going through a clinical trial, you're really working with underground providers, which can be very sketchy can be great yeah. and it can be sketchy because there's not a lot of oversight whereas ketamine there's a lot of legal providers psychotherapists people like myself that are licensed and vetted that are working with these medicines so that's one way they're different we can get into like the nuances of the actual direct experience because they're also like each medicine 
I would love to talk about the direct experience because I know for myself experiencing mushrooms in a non-therapeutic way, just in an exploratory way, um, you were saying, oh, it's a regulated up and down. I'm like, oh, that sounds nice, you know? So I would love for you to talk about the differences. Totally. I feel like they, they mirror their composition in a funny way. Like mushrooms to me feel very like underworldly, you know, mm-hmm. a lot more shadow content and oh, yeah. interconnectedness. And then like you work with like an ayahuasca, which feels a lot more like interconnected and you imagine the jungle, everything's connected and saturated. And ketamine is a synthetic substance and it feels cosmic you know the direct experience often i get people saying like that feels otherworldly and i think that kind of correlates with this synthetic component and i think where ketamine is a little bit different yes like most people experience like this lifting off this separation there's not too much around like my biological history and my human history but much more like spiritually open and spacious experience Um, so i think that's where ketamine is a little bit different the onset tends to be really slow and gentle. Mm. And then it works on the glutamate receptors and tends to like limit the experience of like fear, trepidation, all kind of like these warning signals that usually go off in the body. You can just imagine like ketamine turns that system off. Mm -hmm. So even as you navigate towards something that feels scary, you're working with your therapist, you're talking about a previous trauma. Normally you might get these sparks of like fear, trepidation, don't touch that. And it's almost like those guards have been removed. Those systems have been lowered so we can move in. And it's usually met with like a lot more spaciousness. Mm. I use the word cool because it's like, there's heat with triggering. Yeah. And you imagine like when the heat's not there, it actually feels like cool, spacious, a lot more space for curiosity. You can kind of like look at things openly and say like, ooh, okay, these are some without the huge response and reaction and desire to look away and it's kind of how the ketamine experiences in the lower doses, mm-hmm. higher doses. It's a different ball game. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so, you know, are there any dangers with working with psychedelics? Um, I know we've talked about like the extreme detachment or like the higher doses, but you know, in terms of not getting addicted, but kind of getting hooked onto the experience and kind of getting stuck in that reality. Is there any dangers in that space? Yeah, totally. I'm glad you brought this question in because it is, there are risks attached. And yeah, particularly with ketamine, I think the fortunate thing is there's not very many contraindications. It's typically people that have heart issues and blood pressure issues. Mm. Since ketamine will drop your blood pressure, that's usually what our medical team is looking out for biologically, physiologically. But then psychologically, if you're already working with a lot of sense of detachment and I would say like low low to no sense of self and a lot of like expanded mind experiences, ketamine can actually be pretty dangerous. Mm. It's not helping us feel grounded and localized. If anything, it's opening. So a lot of people who maybe feel like they want to get grounded, I would say this is probably not the medicine to work with. And it's actually probably better to work with. I mean, you can work with breath work and other things that are like less expansive. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's different, you know, you can throw diagnoses on what those look like, but people that have experience with psychosis and a lot of bipolar mania, those experiences, it's a little bit more tentative working with that. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say ketamine's not effective there. I would just say you have to be very careful and work with extremely well-versed practitioners. Mm-hmm. And then I think you nailed it. Like there can also be dependence forming. And I would say less so physical dependence and more so craving the experience of expansiveness. Mm. 
And that's where I say like, it's best to work with providers that take integration very seriously and don't view the medicine as this magic bullet. Cause I think that's where you get stuck in dependence yeah. or like, Oh, if I just stay on ketamine, you know, I'll always feel my fear system will always be gone. And like, okay, I just need to continue the medicine often versus yeah. like that's giving us a blueprint for what we can seek outside of the medicine space. And let's try to cultivate that without the medicine. Mm. Inherently when I work with psychedelics, I want to make the psychedelics obsolete over time. Yeah. Absolutely. The same way I want to make therapy obsolete. Like if we learn to work with ourselves and heal ourselves internally, you lose need for the reference and you come back to touch in and to get reminders, but then you, you work in, internally, intrapsychically. Yeah. So I think just focusing on that is really huge. And yeah, I mean, I've seen, I work a lot with addiction. I've seen a very small amount of people get quote unquote addicted to ketamine, but I have seen it. So yeah, people get compulsively attached to maybe the spiritual part and want to keep going back to get the insights instead of integrate. And yeah, I'm like, that can be a danger. Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, when someone feels super low, maybe they've had this expansive nature and then the next day they're back and they're like, wait, what's reality? What's life? Right. And that could maybe be part of that draw. And that's thankfully where you come in, right? The integrator, the integration process. Um, but I've always wondered that because I think sometimes we get, you know, even stuck that this is, this could be the answer. This is the key to it all. Right. Mm-hmm. And again, we're so multidimensional. We don't know it all. This is just an amazing tool that helps us see far past things and accelerate the process. And, you know, you've seen such amazing things, but who knows what else is out there, right? Like who knows what other time, di- you know, like what the heart of it all is, like who really knows, right? Yeah. I mean, that's endless too. I love that you have the experience with like yoga and bhakti too, because it's like a vehicle. You get to feel the profundity of the vehicle. And also it's just like pointing us towards our nature. Yeah. You know? I'm like that. It's actually pointing us to keep the awareness out to the ketamine or to the yoga practice, as opposed to like, it's all just helping us witness our inherent nature that could save you a lot of stress and a lot of attachment, which yeah. can inherently be a lot of painful if you re- recognize like we're just learning our core truths and it's all inside you, the medicine's inside you, ecstasy's inside you, it's available and we just need to uncover the, you know, endless shit that kind of gets in the way. <laughs> Absolutely, we need to um, clear with me. I'm making a lot of Ram Dass references, but I keep, I was you listening to him. Um, he's just, him, him and Maharaji are a big part of my life. And, you know, I just am deeply grateful and just finished his book. So he's just like in my space, I love um, it. but yeah, it's just this, all those things aren't it. Right. I think many people think, Oh, I found this, this is going to be it. This is going to be the thing that saves me forever. Right. Or whatever. And I think that again, how you're saying comes with that attachment to everything is within us. It Mm -hmm. doesn't, it's not, but those things will help us start to see that, right? Mm -hmm. Ketamine helps us start to see that beauty that's within how you're saying that goodness that's inside of us. Mm -hmm. Um, But to not get stuck there, right? To not Mm -hmm. just get stuck on, on just ingesting the tool. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's why I think this is such profound work for addiction specifically, because if you get to the spiritual essence of that, is that like, in here isn't okay so let me connect with drugs alcohol sex gambling whatever it is yeah because that will regulate the part of me that feels like i can't be in here and Mm. just someone who's like really sick in an addiction hearing you and i say like actually it's all beautiful in here and you know come 
Yeah. Like, no, 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 not in here. Yeah. And you know, you imagine getting a ketamine experience or a psychedelic experience where you get the reminder of like, oh, that's what Annette and Craig were talking about. <laughs> that is what they mean. It is yeah. in there. Okay. And it's not, sorry, what were you saying? No, I can say you can start to work with that idea of like, once you get a peak, it calls into question the part of you that has a core belief that you're broken, you're fucked up, whatever. Yeah. And then the work starts because you have a seed and that's all we really need. So Yeah. And no one's unique, right? No one, just because we may see the goodness is, is because we've probably worked through all of our, not all of our shit, there's always layers, but we've been able to see what's behind the veil a few times, you know? Um, and it's about coming into that space of peeling back these layers, these illusions that we have that, oh, I'm not worthy. No one's going to love me. Whenever those, you know, the stories and the identities that we've grasped onto, this is who I am. Beautiful part, I think, is the dying of those things, the dying off of who we think we are. And then asking ourselves, well, who the hell, who the hell am I? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Reconstructing from that place. Like can be terrifying and amazing (laughs) yeah i think that's the best way to describe a spiritual awakening is is the most terrifying and amazing thing that one will ever have experience one will ever have Mm -hmm. and how hard it is to choose that well i think people get presented with that possibility and you, you look back at a life of suffering that feels familiar but painful versus like the dynamic of being terrified and almost feeling like you're starting from scratch. And a lot of, I mean, that's where decision-making comes. And I think oh, yeah. therapy really helpful. A lot of people will revert back because that part is scary. Even though there's a lot of possibility out there, it, feel, it feels terrifying to go into that Bardo open space. Yeah, and That's where a, a good psychotherapist lightly is walking with you and being like, take one step. I'm right here next to you. It is going to be scary and it's going to be liberating. You yeah. Know? So, so let's talk about the unknown a little bit, you know, with psychedelics, the unknown is a major part of it, right? No one knows what they're going to actually experience. And just in life itself, the unknown is such a major part. And how you were saying, we oftentimes, myself included, have just reverted back to the old ways because it's comfortable. You know what's going to happen when you self-sabotage yourself or whatever, you know, that's my thing, um, whatever you choose to do. And when you lean into the expansion, it's like, oh. How do you find safety there? How do you, you know, find that safety in the unknown? Mm -hmm. Well, that's where I think community comes in so big and good guidance and good support comes in so big. So I think to expect people to do that on their own, you know, that's a hard thing to sell versus I think the importance of, I guess what they would call Sangha in Buddhism or just like spiritual community, just like people that, you know, are like also jumping off cliffs. (laughs) <laughs> and taking risks and seeing them and like okay I see they're growing and I see they're you know I think there's something about normalizing it and being in a community of people that also do this yeah um, so part of my integration work is really focusing on groups and I do I mean I teach group psychotherapy at Naropa University group has been huge for me in general and I think these two systems of psychedelic therapy and group work need to be aligned the same way deep spiritual work and sangha need to be in yeah. community and to me, I'm like, that's where I think we're more willing to step into the unknown. If we feel mm. like, whoa, even if I lose my bananas, there's like a group of people willing yeah. to catch me, hold me. So I'm like, that. I think that's a big piece of going into the unknown. Absolutely. That community is a major part. I think also because, you know, in terms of like you and a, a patient, a client, um, that's one person, right? They see you, they hear you. 
And then, you know, it may bring in the thoughts of like, well, we're just the only people having this experience, having these thoughts, like, is that enough? Right. But when you bring in the community, when you bring in that, the possibility of the circle, you're like, oh, there's like 20 people here that think the same thing. Like there's gotta be hundreds of, you know, it kind of opens up that possibility and that acceptance more and more. Um, so I think that's community is just, you know, we're tribal people from in the heart, no matter where you were from, what you were doing, the heart of our ancestry is all, we were all just tribes coercing together. Mm-hmm. And I think I've said this sometime before, you know, we oftentimes when a baby is born, people say it takes a village to raise the baby, right? But where does the village go when the baby is an adult mm-hmm. in this Western society, right? The village has to be created by the adult, but I think that's such a missing piece, especially in our Western space is that it's seen as this weird thing to find community. You know, it's like this like edgy thing to dive into that. Um, and it's not accepted, normalized to, to do that straight away, right? You first have to be isolated, alone, suffering, and then seek it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, well, and oftentimes I think how much, I think we expect our community to be our family, which might actually be like a root of a lot of our trauma or difficulty. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're constantly trying to refeed that need for community through people that are not open or ready to see us go through an awakening or a shifting experience and how important it is to like launch from old systems and find new systems. Yeah. It's, it's wild. I'm like, that's, I I feel like if we have any work to do, it's around this notion of community and yeah, just being more encouraging for people to reach out and to connect in this way, but be providing spaces and, you know, especially around psychedelic medicine work, spiritual growth, most people get the like, where are my people question? And they're out there. You just gotta, you gotta hunt them down, but they're, they're out there and yeah. they're available. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's so many ways to find it, right. Especially now with everything that's happening, but there's so many ways to find community. I think oftentimes we think, oh, there's no one in my town that does this. I don't know, whatever. Right. But you can, Facebook groups are a major place that you can find people. There's, you know, people love Ram Das. There's a, a gathering, a satsang that happens every month. There's, you know, so many places and areas that you can gather community. But again, just open yourself up to the possibility of where, where can I meet someone? Where can I meet people like this? And call them in, right? We have the ability to call community into us. I just want to share a little story that I had um, a couple of years ago. I remember I was like, I'm just really craving a spiritual community, not just one that talks about like, because I was at that time teaching yoga, asana, the physical body postures. And I was like, I want the deeper, the deeper philosophy. And I was just like, where am I going to find them? You know, like I was in a yoga studio, I was in a space that I was held and loved, but I just wanted to go deeper. And I remember like two days later, I got a text from one of my yoga teachers and he was like, Hey, and I just started a satsang, which is the same thing as a sangha, but in, um, yogic philosophy, I just started a satsang for people to come together for yogic philosophy. Like, would you like to join? And I was like, yeah, of course. Yeah. But you, you put some energy and some curiosity and then it, it meets you halfway. Yeah. And that's, that's the beauty, right? What, and this could be with anything in life, but focusing on community, if you're feeling lonely, disconnected, open yourself up, ask, and you never know what might come through. Right. 
Agreed. And I think in this kind of COVID era, what we've discovered is how easy it is to connect over Zoom. And I think there's a lot of pain attached to that, but also like possibility. So my integration circles went from being localized in Boulder with just a small community to suddenly we have people in California, people in New York, someone in London. Mm-hmm. And now it's, you know, it's like everyone's getting familiarized with this idea that we can connect much more broadly than we thought we could. Yeah. So yeah, even if not in your small rural, rural town in Wisconsin, you might be able to connect <laughs> into a group that's, yeah, that's, I mean, wide ranging all over the U.S., maybe national and so much more is available. And I love the idea of just like first ask for it, be clear in your own self, what you're looking for and what you want, and then be ready for it to find you. <laughs> yeah. And maybe, maybe right now you were thinking, oh, I really need something. Maybe ketamine assisted psychotherapy is something you never thought about. And then this podcast landed, right? There's mm-hmm. all those threads that we don't know why we're just showing up and having the conversation and then what that leads and what that does is not in our hands, right? <laughs> yeah. So for we... learned from my psychedelic work person. You're good. I think we just paused for a little bit in my yeah, back. Okay. <laughs> I was just gonna yeah. One of the biggest integrated pieces of insight that I've gathered is like everything that comes in a small way deserves a little bit of curiosity. So yeah, I'm like when a podcast lands and it's about ketamine therapy and you're like, ooh, I have an interest, just bring some curiosity in or, you know, some old person in your life comes into a DM and, you know, I'm like, there's all these like little invitations that are sent to us. And I think they deserve to get a little bit of curiosity and attention. And I think in terms of our healing, I mean, I really do work with this idea that something kind of carries and provides opportunity consistently for us. So yeah, I love this idea of just like follow the little threads that you notice in your world. It's like yeah. a big, it's a big truth. Yeah. It is. And it's, it's so corny, but like it builds the quilt of your life, right? Like it's like when you look back and you're like, I did not understand why that happened and this happened, but you look back and you're like, Oh, that makes a lot of sense now. Mm-hmm. Right. And maybe where we're at today is like, Oh, I don't know where this is going to go, but you know, 20 years mm-hmm. from now, five years from now, you look back and say, Oh, that made a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah one of my there's a woman in my integration group or maybe it's a gentleman who always says like you're not privy to knowing why you're getting what you're getting right now you don't know the full story so to like resist or to fight against it or to wish it were to be different you need to humble yourself that you just don't know the full story yet and just mm-hmm. there's this notion of like trust the process and that's really hard when you're in a lot of pain or you're in a trauma experience so i'm like there's there's wisdom to asking for help and getting support but also trusting wherever we are as dark as it gets, you know, like be in contact with people that support us, but also trust like this process is tricky, yeah. scary, wild, yeah. uncertain. And that's, you know, there's some notion of like surrendering in to it that feels like an important lesson. Mm, absolutely. And it's, I don't know, right, is the most intelligent thing to say, I think sometimes, <laughs> right? Like, I just, I don't know why something's happening, especially the pain that someone has, um, the trauma that they experience and, you know, no one knows. And it's about, again, asking for that support, finding support that feels re- reson- in resonance with you, right? Maybe talk therapy, like deters you, but maybe working with psychedelics excites you or, however it may be, um, finding different healing modalities. There's so many possibilities. And that's what this podcast is all about is to 
show the possibilities that we all have our own path and our own way to create healing and just to open up the door to see again the possibilities at hand that there's so many so many ways yeah well what a beautiful intention for your podcast like yeah there's many many roads into the forest and you're just showing people the different avenues yeah i'm just like pick the door that you think might might work you know and then we'll see where the road that road takes you yeah So before we wrap up today, I always ask um, the conscious conversation guests here to give a tip of advice for someone who is seeking balance in their reality today. Balancing reality, balancing. I think this relates to a little bit of where we've meandered, but just like watch your passions and your attachments watch your avoidances, watch the things you ignore and like seek equanimity and openness and try to live in that state as often as you can. Mm. And I think inherently we find balance when we stop playing that game of just like, yeah, like attaching, averting. It's a very Buddhist core principle, Mm -hmm. but I really think balance comes with leaning into the notion of equanimity. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So that's my final suggestion. <laughs> and that awareness is very important. Yeah. So Craig, how can individuals work with you? I know you have a private practice in Boulder, but you said that you had, you know, global ways to connect. So I would love for you to share those. Yeah. So easiest way would be to go to my website, craigsalernocounseling.com and a bunch of different ways to get in touch with me through there. I'm also the co-founder of a spot called the Boulder Wellness Ketamine Collective. So those of you interested in ketamine psychotherapy, we also have a website, boulderketaminecollective.com. And if you pop into either one of those, you'll find an avenue to get in touch. And yeah, I would love to chat with anyone who wants to talk about this work. Awesome. We'll make sure all that information's in the show notes. And thank you, Craig, so much for joining us today. What a delightful combo. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of The Sacred Dance. If you enjoyed the medicine shared here, check us back out next Thursday as there are new episodes released every week. You can find this podcast on Apple, Spotify, Anchor, and YouTube. Be sure to rate and review the podcast as you check us out so that we can grow and spread this community of balance, sovereignty, and everyone finding their own nuggets of truth in it all. Thank you and see you next week.